0: The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. The biggest winner from the first weekend in November is not the one you think. Bedlam might be over, and that'll be just fine with one side and another era coming to a close sooner than we all might have recognized. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, November 6th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Great games this past weekend, Pete. Some positioning going on, and I'm not going to bury the lead. The biggest winner of the first weekend didn't necessarily come from the biggest game. It came from one of the more entertaining games, and that winner is Texas. Texas is going to the college football playoff, and I think they all but secured a spot. I know there's, there's a very specific scenario that might keep them out. But I think they have basically secured a spot because the last team that could beat them did not. They survived a scare, and everything has fallen in place now because the remainder of their schedule, they're incapable of beating them. And in my judgment, barring a a horrific performance from Texas. And then in the championship game, the teams that will likely be there, Oklahoma State most likely to be there, I don't think is suited to beat them because you're not going to run on them. So I think Texas had a gargantuan weekend and is really uh very, very close, despite the one loss, to have having secured a spot in the college football playoff.
1: So do you expect an unironic declaration of Texas being back to go unchecked by me? I mean, do you really I, think I could just give you the give you the runway on that and let it go, well, Reese? Because there's no, no I way I can just hand Texas anything after 15 years of them, essentially. Falling on on, you know, stepping on a rake to use one of your things um, and spot after spot when people thought they were well positioned. So I give Texas credit for holding on. I mostly blame the center on K-State on that extra point try who snapped it when nobody was waiting. I mean, talk about like that one will haunt Chris Kleiman like mm-hmm. until his you know he's he'll be in a rocking chair somewhere enjoying a beverage and he'll say if we just hit that extra point in Austin, it would mm-hmm. all be different now that said, Texas jolted out the lead they had their backup quarterback um they they showed enough metal to uh to do what they needed to do um so I certainly respect where the genesis of that enthusiasm for Texas comes from. But as the, uh, as the sort of noted cynic of the show, I just am not going to declare anything until I see them pop up in the graphic that Sunday, I am not going to think Texas
0: is safe. I here, here's my point on it, Pete, because I really, I was, I've been wary for quite some time because generally speaking, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say my enthusiasm for Texas is, Great, I just feel like they navigated the final, the final rake. Now I know everybody's going, what about Iowa State? All you've been saying is I knew Texas would play great against Alabama, you know, even though they lost, you knew they would perform against Oklahoma. And I said, what about Baylor? What about Iowa State? That's still true, but sort of squandering that lead, as you talked about, allowing Kansas State to throw the ball all over them, um you know I just and then seeing Iowa State Saturday night played a good team lost to a good team at home I just don't think they have the horses I I think I think Texas has navigated the last rake and while I love love the way Oklahoma State is playing I think that's a, I think that's a Styles make fi- if that is in fact the big 12 championship game that's a styles make fights thing, and I don't think that's a good style uh, for Oklahoma State against Texas. I may be proven wrong, but I I kind of don't think so. so.
1: Well, since we are headed back to Houston, which was the site of our last bet um, that we had, and you very kindly bought me a uh, bought me a steak at a very swanky Houston area steakhouse. It was delicious and much appreciated. We had we good, had good company night. and good fun. cheer. Yeah, it was it yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, I, will, uh, I will I will I uh, will. Why don't we put a uh, a, a Houston stake on whether or not texas makes the playoff right now I, they have four opportunities and they can lose all four reese so all i'm saying is i see where you're coming from but mm-hmm. they could lose at tcu i don't think they will but they could they could no, they lose couldn't. at iowa state they could definitely that, lose at iowa state the, yes that that's they could the definitely one. that lose yeah, at iowa state on a frigid Ames night like etc mm-hmm. and then texas tech can beat them because they have beaten them so again, I know the games in Austin. I know I know the games in Austin. Texas Tech can beat them and has the explosiveness to beat them. And then obviously the big total tight end the big total tight game. So all I'm saying is I see where you're coming from. The path is clear. Mm-hmm. Whether they go from that three-quarters pole to to nosing at the uh at the end of the derby finish line here, I remain skeptical. So I will put my uh I will put my my, my dinner check where my uh, where my skepticism is and if you think Texas is in and I think they're out, I think it's a pretty clear
0: uh, dinner wager. Uh, I will accept the wager and I will give you this this caveat. I I'm not sold on them. I'm sort of going with rhythm of the season. that was that was a game that they really tried to give away and were fortunate that they didn't. Kansas State. Houston, they also certainly could have lost on the road. They really got a break in that one from the spot from the official on third down on Houston's last drive. Maybe they don't let them score anyway, but they had they got a gargantuan break. So I'm kind of looking at it as rhythm of the season, Pete, more so than I'm saying Texas is great. I'm not rhythm of the season to get through one. You've got to navigate if you're good. And I think they are good. You've got to navigate a couple of pitfalls. They got a break at Houston. They got a break when the snapper snapped it off the holder's face mask against Kansas State, and they they kind of got a break with uh, with Kleiman not extending the game with the field goal, though I didn't hate the call. I would like to have seen, you know me, I would be too predictable, I guess, but when you're all or nothing, I like to see something that creates confusion especially if you're a little bit outmanned up front, as I sort of think that even though Kansas State's offensive line is really good, I still think Texas maybe has a little bit on them, you know, athletically with their defense versus their offense. I like to see something that creates a little more confusion so that maybe you get it. Yeah, something you have options and you get it easily instead of it just being, we're going to execute, needing four or five yards to win the game. I like the bravado of trying to win the game right there you have a chance to win the game with one play. Um, maybe I would gotten a, a few more options out of it, but great game. It's easy great to second guess
1: a play call that's stepping it on a banana a peel, peel essentially. Cause that's yeah, what that play absolutely. was. Yeah, well, Howard yeah. backpedaled and stepped on a banana peel, yeah. but uh, rolling him out and using his legs as a weapon as they did during that game, I mm-hmm. I think makes a lot of sense to me um, for that. I don't think they put him in the best position there. Um, I didn't love the call. I, I wasn't like vehemently against it, like some people were. Um, I do. I would love if uh, Marissa Dowling, who's our talented game day statistician, or you know someone in our universe, could quantify the number of plays, like in the last five years, where coaches have said, "I'm going to win the game here," as opposed to attempting to tie it, and what the percentage that they hit on those plays was like the two to win in overtime, the two to win at the end of regulation, et cetera. I would guess that it's less than 50%. That's purely anecdotal.
0: Yeah. I don't know that, but I still think, especially if you're, if you're an underdog going for two at, in the second possession of an overtime before you, before you have to is almost always a no brainer. Just do it. You know, just try to win the game right there. Arizona, comes yep. to mind against USC they didn't do it ended up losing i i would not have minded them even though i, I as i said i like the attempt to win the game but i wouldn't have minded had they kicked the field goal because they weren't on the two you know i mean that there was a little sizable chunk of real estate to gather there they hadn't been productive on uh, as productive as they had hoped on third down so i would you know would like to have seen something else but i think they're i think they've navigated a couple now the path is wide open. Uh God bless TCU for what they did last year. I think they are ungood this year and I don't think they've got a chance to beat them. Iowa State does because Iowa State's tough and they'll muck up the game. They got a chance, but you know, I I thought Iowa State was surging and boy, all credit the world to Kansas for going up there and- and what a win. Business after totally under the great, radar. What a Great win. win from Kansas on Saturday night coming off that Oklahoma thing in the emotion. Uh Leipold and his staff get a ton of credit for getting them back right. And you know, Iowa State made a charge, but Kansas pretty much controlled that game. And you know, they they took control and won the thing. But anyway, I think Texas was the big winner of the weekend. Um and that is Edging out by just a hair, Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State, because mm-hmm. for years, you know, they've always been the one that they get beaten about the head and shoulders in this rivalry game. You know, it was something like, you know, 91 16 and seven, or whatever it was, 15 seven, you know, going into that. Gundy, you know, three and 15 as the head coach, it had to live with his entire career, with a questionable personal foul call going against Oklahoma State on what could have been a game-winning drive, and it turned a fourth and one into a fourth and 16 um, for them against Oklahoma in his final game with with Barry Sanders. He's had to live with that and then live with all of the losses and live with all of the shortcomings. And now, if I'm Mike Gundy, just from a personal standpoint, not for the good of college football – For the good of college football, they should play next year and continue to play. For the good of Mike Gundy, I would say, I'm good. I'm living with that one. I'm living with sending you into the SEC with a big fat L beside the last game in Bedlam. And if you guys want to play again when I ride off to hunt rattlesnakes or whatever it is that Mike's going to do, go fishing, you know, in the ride four wheelers in the aftermath of his coaching career, go ahead, play. I'll come back and I'll sit around as you say enjoying a beverage and i'll tell stories about how we sent oklahoma to the sec with a big fat l and we took the goal post and we threw them in the Theta Pond, and uh pistols firing you know go go cowboys that's that's what i would do if i were mike gundy if i were operating solely in the best interest of mike gundy and not in the best Which interest. She often in does, by the way. <laughs> well Nate, okay he who is without sin cast the first stone. Name one person among us who doesn't operate in our own self interest most of the time, right? Very, I'm not fair. Saying, that's not Very selfish fair. necessarily, can be, but doesn't have to be, right? Uh, unbelievable game, Reese. You know, what
1: I mean, like a good fit if that is the last bedlam, and I really hope it's not the last bedlam, but it is the best big too. 12 bedlam. Yeah. And I thought it was, uh, it was just sort of a fitting, emotionally volatile um, twists and turns. It kind of had a little bit of everything. I was really, really enjoyed watching that game right down the end.
0: What about the hero, uh, hero, Ollie Gordon and the fans chanting his name, like just basically begging for him to get the ball, like every play, like even yeah. after they complete a pass, you know, They, they, I mean, he's like resuscitated their entire season. So that Friday
1: night, they're playing K State. Um, we were in Dallas, I want to say, because I remember watching it on uh, on TV in the hotel that night. Mm-hmm. And I thought K State murdered them last year, forty eight to yeah. nothing. I mean, it was one of the most just distinct thumpings. And there's one thing about K State from last year to this year; they have a lot of the same personnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're very similar. And that's two or three weeks after South Al went to Stillwater and just completely. Thumped Oklahoma State. I didn't think Oklahoma State had a prayer in that game, Bryce. Like, not a prayer. Now, that was a weird, ugly, funky game, if I remember it right. But Will I Howard think, threw a bunch of interceptions. Yes. I think you do three, if I, rec- if I recall. Yes. I think that's right. But you want to talk about everything turning for a program? Because if, if K-State replicates what they'd done there, we're talking about, like, boy, Mike Gundy, again, in trouble is a lot of words. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of length and security on his contract. But boy, they are in a they are in a spiral at that point because they ended last season really poorly and that would, at that point they wouldn't have started this season um, with any with any life to them. obviously you know there's that big 12 schedule for them was unforgiving until the stretch now that they have, which is actually fairly easy So no, I don't I can't recall in recent seasons one singular player emerging Now Ollie Gordon was a good player coming into the year right but he wasn't on any all league teams or anything like that like he wasn't a household name. Just one player sort of emerging from the roster to completely save a program. It's been a remarkable, remarkable story.
0: The Weekend Review is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. So that was uh, a fascinating game that unfolded there. Thought Missouri acquitted itself well in fighting Georgia uh, in the afternoon. But man, those two primetime games, Saturday night, and I was... uh, uh, fortunate enough to be up in the Thunderdome with all of the Pat McAfee guys watching the games and we did the the mega cast which was just an absolute blast. Those Tell guys me a little are, bit about that like, unbelievable. It just,
1: it's just, you know you've done a lot in your career you're not a lot of firsts, right mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of times you're you're walking into something at this stage in your career you know you're 30 years in as a pro more than that probably like what was that like to do something like that for the first time?
0: It was, you know, it's, it's funny. It was, uh, first of all, it was really fun. It was very organized. Uh, you know, Ben Ward produced it and did a great job. Pat has a you know, remarkable vision of how things should look so that it's in keeping with, uh, with his show. And my thought on it going in was that, you know, they wanted me to move us in and out of places to contribute, but I was trying, I don't know if I succeeded in this regard or not but I wanted to be very cognizant to give those guys their room because they have remarkable chemistry with each other. They have a feel and a vibe on their show that is wildly successful. And I wanted to augment, not get in the way of that, you know, but, you know, i I'm sure I've stepped on a rake uh, here there from time to time because, you know, I like, I like football too. And I got excited watching the games, but you're we're sitting and had a great setup in, in Thunderdome there with, uh, all What's kinds the thunderdome of thunderdome like thunderdome is is great i think it used to be a church a church building or church gymnasium huh. and now they have converted it and you walk in and it's a basketball court that's great then off to the left there's sort of like a command center there's a kitchen another place you know to like plug in laptops sit at a bar thing look at uh you know, to be able to put food and drink or whatever you have in your laptop and then screens up in front of you, you know, huge screens. So all the games were on up there when we when we went over there. There's a production area where they, you know, sort of a command center for that. And then off to the side, that was really, really cool. There's a locker room, and but wow. they made it. It's like a nice locker room. There's a weight room, you know, a great workout facility. Uh, they've done it right there, man. It's like, it's cool. like the coolest man cave you could ever walk ah. into. You know, it's a uh, it was it was a lot of fun. All the guys were great, very accommodating. Uh they love ball, love sports. They really uh, you know, they un- they understand television and their show and it was it was a blast. I was happy happy to be a part of it. It was it was a good time and then we we got the break of having two great games, great games. and two virtuoso performances uh or four I guess I was going to say two games with virtuoso performances from all of the quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. Uh, not to mention Dylan Johnson from Washington who, and their offensive line, which was just tremendous against SC, but um, it was, it was a good night. And those, those two games were, were really sensational.
1: Yeah. No, it looked like, it looked like a lot of fun. I watched probably the first 20 minutes solid just to kind of get a feel for it and to, and to see it. I, I saw your, uh, you're jumping right into Tulsa, Charlotte in the, uh, in, the in the grit of overtime <laughs> yeah. there um, for your guy, Poji. And uh, I like the vibe of just like popping in and out and everything. And then I got caught in the four box for a little while there because I was watching, uh, you know, there's obviously two elite games yeah. played at a high level happening. So I kind of would pop on hop, pop on that on YouTube TV for a while and then pop back and kind of see what you guys were doing going through. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Like,
0: I feel like that idea... Is overdue in college football and could really work. Yeah, there there were some other things that you know I, I don't mean to speak out of school, but Pat immediately because he's got you know really good sense business wise. Some things that would um, that would change it up, but you know this came together very quickly, and I was really impressed with the way it was produced, the way it was organized. You know, by all of the crew in the Thunderdome and everything that they got done in a really short period of time. And I think, you know, as as that idea moves forward, which hopefully it will, um, that there are some there are some things to improve it, because I think pulling something together basically in a week, you know, roughly yeah. pulling it together in a week and, and executing it hopefully as well as we did. We certainly tried. And I think we were, you know, wildly successful. We'd go back and say there are a lot of things that you can do to enhance this and make it make it better along the way, which kind of stands to reason. You know, when you have yeah. a little more time to sure. organize, plan it, all of the types of things you need to do. So I, I think it's an an overdue thing, too. And, you know, we did and uh, we, we did get um, we did get encouraged, maybe not to turn around some of the highlights quite as quickly as we were, because, you know, we can. You can go live to all of the ESPN properties. And that was sure. one of the things on social media that people were concerned about that they weren't going to be able to keep up with uh, LSU in Alabama or sure. Michigan and Purdue or whatever, yeah. whatever the other BYU in West Virginia. Um, but we were able to do it. You just can't do it live. And, you know, we were um, encouraged to be. Little less, a little less good or a little less aggressive because we were really good there for a while at getting some of that (laughs) stuff flipped. (laughs) But you know, so, uh, you know, there are things like that to navigate through that are, uh, beyond the scope of what I do. So that's,
1: uh, that's, that's very fair. It is uh much like our friend Pat to certainly push the limits on things, right? Pat's uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we were all for it. I mean, yeah, you know, sure. I, I've always, I've always uh, wondered about this and you followed the TV rights things for a long time and I've been in it. Although I will easily confess that that doesn't fascinate me like the content. So I'm not, you know, deep down in the weeds, but like, for instance, the NCAA tournament and cbs in the old days and now cbs and turner's insistence on limiting the amount the the amount of time that you can spend on highlights is asinine to me because if you or the games have to be over it's so preposterous because if somebody's watching sports center or or any update on espn or they happen to be flipping by and you show them a a seven ten game going on that maybe they have zero interest in and, and just you went show, to them, overtime. show them a highlight yeah just going to overtime or they, they've, they've got saying like, on sports center <laughs> yeah they're going no they're going I'm right not to it. like yeah they're like, going right to it and i i don't understand i understand you pay a lot of money for exclusivity but if you're not broadcasting it live you still have the exclusivity what you're getting is a free invitation from someone yeah. else hey you should go over to true tv or whatever it is and watch the end of fresno state and uh and iowa or something somebody just hit a fadeaway three look at this they're headed to overtime
1: in boise yeah yeah Yeah. sports fan like i think you and i are aligned in this like when i see uh paul paps uh you know tweet snug late i'm flipping my channel to where it's snug late like that's i think and i think I, I hope every listener of this podcast is the same way, right? Like that we're just sports fans and we want to see good endings, good games, good finishes. And that's the beauty of the, the red zone concept here is I would not have watched the end of Charlotte Tulsa, right? Like I right. probably just mm-hmm. wouldn't have been on my radar. There's too many things, but here, there it is. And I'm like, Whoa, what's going to happen? You know, like, yep. you, you know, we're, uh,
0: we're all sort of hooked on the uh, hooked on the finishes. Ryan McGee is getting ready to join us now. And as Ryan joins us, I want to bring up one thing. USC finally made a move on its defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. Uh, Lincoln Riley doing what appeared to be inevitable to most for the last several weeks and removing him as DC. And you can quibble, or not even quibble, you can criticize, and rightly so, their lack of ability to get people on the ground tackling. You can criticize and you should the fact that Washington gained about 7 million yards before contact, just running the football from a team that runs the football less frequently than just about everybody, and yet they ran it on you. And you can also say his schemes aren't good, he's not, he doesn't have the right guys in the right positions, all kinds of XO personnel philosophical things that you can criticize Alex Grinch for. And while this might not be fair, the most justifiable reason to fire him came on a clip that is circulating in social media. And sometimes that can tell an incomplete story. I want to offer that caveat, but he is giving instruction to the defense at some point in the game And then raises his hand in the middle, as if to get everyone to join him. You know, everybody, you know, on three, win, defense, whatever, whatever they say, fight on. And everybody left him hanging. Everybody, and it was, you know, it could have been that they were fatigued. It could have been that they were demoralized. It could not have. It could have been that it wasn't intended to be a slight. But you saw that, and you're like, he doesn't have them. You know, even if they like him and the players did a great job earlier in the season saying, hey, we're not making plays. He's doing fine. He's putting us in position. But for whatever reason, that voice wasn't commanding enough to bring them in, to unify them and bring them together. And whether that is truly indicative of the feelings, there's no way to tell from a short social media clip. But it does show that everybody wasn't marching to the same drummer and everybody wasn't unified and everybody wasn't responding to that voice. And when that happens, regardless of a coach's acumen, regardless of how much you want to be loyal to him, you have to make a change. Now it it might be too late and I don't think I'm breaking any big news that it's a justifiable change for USC's defense. But seeing that little clip, I was like, now, I feel bad for him because you know Pete better than I do, and Ryan too. There was a time when this guy had a really stellar reputation as a defensive guy. I hope he can recapture that because I certainly don't wish him ill. But it just it just wasn't working, and they they had to make a change.
1: He turned down a power five head job at one point. He
0: was like a coveted enough guy in the yeah. uh, you know
1: in in the coaching space. I'll, I'll say this quick, and, and then we'll welcome in uh, we'll welcome in Ryan McGee. If you make a coordinator change at this point in the year, you are not going to change radically schematically. All right. You are not going to have someone come in and install some great scheme and transform your program. What you have to weigh is does losing this guy on their staff, who is usually the most experienced, the play caller, which is a just a system thing that has to get ironed out. Will that body being gone? Cause your group to be galvanized and energized so it is at this point firing alex grinch at this moment of the season is a motivation tactic to try to just get the team to play hard because they clearly the the schemes have clearly failed them to some extent right they could the the sum has not been greater than the parts there right but if you're going to make that move at this point you are doing it either to pacify your fan base which wanted him gone after last year a, and then B, to try to just energize your team to play harder. And I think we could all argue they could tackle better and play harder, right? I don't think you need yeah, a no – you don't need to be Dr. No. Z to see those two things in that.
2: Yeah. That was a solid Dr. Z drop right there, by the way. But but <laughs> with, to that point, it, sometimes as a sports writer, you are accused of reading way too much into those things, right? You know, the, the body language and how they react to each other. But, but I'll say this uh, – I was on the sideline uh, in Oxford, Mississippi on Saturday. And when Ole Miss had gotten up a couple scores and A&M had a pretty egregious personal foul, I stood on the Texas A&M sideline and thought, okay, now now we're going to see these guys are done. Like, they don't want to be here. You know, we've heard about this collected roster and all these transfers and NIL, whatever else. But they played so hard in the second half that I thought, okay, they want to play for Jimbo Fisher, and I don't believe that going into that game. No offense to Jimbo, that's not what I would have predicted, that I would have seen, and so I think you can absolutely, uh, you know, rely on these videos and rely on what you see with your eyes because at the end of the day, it's still a group of teenagers, and they either want, they either like the teacher or they don't. And at this point in the year, when we're you know two, three games from the end of the season, regular season, I think you can one hundred percent. Uh, look at those things and 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 let that tell you something about what's happening because I mean it is what it is and so yeah I, I'm with you Reese I, I get it. when I saw that video my first thought was well I hope I hope that's out of context but then yeah. when I started looking into it I don't believe that it was so yeah, it's yeah just it's it is what it is right yeah so let me ask you
0: about that egregious personal it was Shamar Turner right that got yeah. the that had the Mitch Kupchak moment there and yeah. Got, thrown out you can follow along him. um i don't know i don't know if there was a mitch cup check there you, you, not that you, mitch cup check yeah. ever no, no. did that just no. you know sort of yeah. sounds like sort of sounds like his last name right? yeah we got it yeah he was just trying he was just <laughs> trying to help him he was trying to make sure that he was uh fully equipped exactly that's all
2: are you good? Is your gear yeah. working? Is that is it, it, a diagnostic test? Are we good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, NASCAR reference, McGee. You're showing your uh, you're showing your full repertoire today. That's a that's i I'll, I'll get some angry tweets about that later. But no, it was it, that was an interesting game because um, you know that that's an elimination game for all Miss. If they lose that game, mm-hmm. it wasn't um, mm-hmm. and as a result, um, you know, y'all are all headed to the same place this weekend, and so so it's why I'm wearing my Augusta. Green Jackets hat. But but it, it is a um it was an interesting psychological experiment because again, I, I didn't expect to see what I saw from the Texas AM sideline who did not give up. And uh and I was really impressed with what I saw in all miss because that's a balanced football team offensively. I mean big time. And and Lane Kiffin said it 50 times going into that game. He, I talked to him midweek and he used the word collected. Like, like over and over and over again, talking about the Texas A&M roster. It, it, he said that it was the most talented roster he'd ever seen. Uh, this is a Pete Carroll USC guy. This is a Nick Saban Alabama guy. Uh, it you, was but all Ryan.
0: You didn't believe? It of though, course did not. You? No, no, no. no. He was don't, trying no to jab don't don't Jimbo. misunderstand. Yeah, but,
2: the, but I'll tell you this though. I don't think anyone can argue with what that roster is at A and M, and that, that it's line. Oh. It, it's it, it's ridiculous, and, and they have underachieved. But they didn't on Saturday, and Ole Miss overachieved on Saturday. So it was um. It was an interesting place to be, and I I can't wait to see what you guys think uh, when you get to see them in person this weekend.
1: You think Ole Miss can win this weekend?
2: I think they can. Um, I don't know that they will, but but I I tell no, uh, no. Professor Davis disagrees. But the reason that I believe that they can is because of what I saw on Saturday. Because Texas A&M is more talented than they are, they're deeper than they are. The difference is Georgia knows what to do with those guys, you know, and Georgia's the deepest roster in the nation as far as I'm concerned. So the answer is I think they have a chance. I think they can. I don't believe that they will, but but I think that they could win the football game. Reese does not agree at all. I, I don't. I, I don't think they can beat them. I think it'll probably
0: get out of hand at the end, but it won't surprise me if Ole Miss jumps on. Yeah. Um, because this is going to be one of those games where Lane is going to want to show off a little bit. And he's a wizard and brilliant at using what you do against you. <laughs> and whatever they decipher from Georgia, they'll use it against him early. And until Georgia adjusts and reacts, it won't surprise me if Ole Miss hits a couple big plays on him early. Um, but I, as actually finishing the game and winning the game, um, I, I just, I don't see it. I think Ole Miss is really good, and I think Georgia's kind of coming into its own. Um Georgia will have to help them if Ole Miss is going to win the game.
2: Yeah. There's no question about a that. A bunch. Yeah. yeah. But I'll say this. I, I know that Ole Miss wishes, as I mean, there's a lot of people do, that they could have that Alabama game back. Because if the team I had seen on Saturday had shown up for that Alabama game, I'm not saying they would have won, but I'm saying they would have at least had a chance. And so so that's that's the do over they wish they could have. But but it's but even Lane when you talk to him about A&M and he'd say, this is the most talented roster, blah, blah, blah. and he'd say, you know, until next week, you know, this is the greatest defensive yeah. line, you know, we'll face all year until next week. And, and so even he acknowledged multiple times, um, yeah, we all know what's around the corner, but, but again, I, and I give them credit for being able to focus on AM because it would have been super, super easy for them. Uh, to have treated that like a look ahead game, and they didn't. They they tried to give it away. They really did. It, it felt like in the first quarter of that game, felt like the Tennessee Alabama game a couple weeks ago, where Ole Miss had chances to put that thing away, and they let A and M hang around, let A M hang around. And as you as you're saying, if you do that in Athens, then uh, you know, they won't just hang around. They'll stomp on you and get on with something else. Yeah, you know, it's
0: the thing is, it's a really interesting thing. You say that you know Ole Miss would like to have the Alabama game back. Alabama would probably like to have the Texas game back. And we create these perceptions of teams that we see and we think that they're going to, you know, remain stagnant, that there's like a a it's linear in terms of the improvement, or they're either going to stay the same, or if they regress, it's because of injury. Um I think both these teams are are way different. Ole Miss is better. Um Alabama's better, even though before you got on, I declared. Texas the biggest winner of the weekend because I don't see who can beat them from this point forward and I think they've all already navigated a couple of their landmines and lived to tell about it but I'm not sure I'll be honest I'm not sure they're better uh and maybe we'll know a little bit more of when Quinn Ewers gets back and I like Murphy I think Murphy's just young he hasn't played much he needs to play you know he's he he makes some plays for you and then he, he plays young sometimes You know why? Because he is, you know, he's he's a really good player who's going to he, too, is going to get better Um, at the moment. I'm not sure Texas is after they sort of, you know, messed around with Houston and they let Kansas State back in the game. But through the rhythm of the season, they've sort of navigated a couple of potholes and they didn't fall in and they're still there. And now they now they ought to get on out uh, to the other side. Were you guys at all? Can we ask Ryan what he thinks of our bet? I want, I want Ryan's opinion on oh yeah average. we had we had a we had a bet because I believe now I understand here's a specific scenario. I don't think I outlined it. The one specific scenario that would leave that would probably leave Texas out is undefeated Big Ten champion whether that's Michigan or Ohio State Georgia undefeated champion Florida State undefeated champion Washington. you know, if I said so it'd be big Ten uh sec acc pac-12 you know you wind up that then then in that case that i'm gonna have to buy a pita steak probably but i i believe texas has all but punched its ticket to the college football playoff because oklahoma state has a huge advantage in tiebreakers over all of the teams that are already a game behind them in the standings and save iowa state and I, I just don't I think it's a bad matchup in the championship game and I don't really think even the trip to Ames, I don't think there are there's a team in there that can beat them, and I think they're gonna wind up with a spot in the playoff. And Which we've better stake a and we bet a stake on it. Okay. The he has Texas
2: is, in, I have Texas out. You have Texas out. Well, well and it's I, I applaud Reese Davis for, for taking this bet because because there's too many there's too many I, I can come up with too many timelines. That don't have them in the playoff, and there's only one. It, right? It's it's Avengers Endgame. There's there's one outcome that puts them in the playoff. Everything else, I I think keeps them out. Wait, because, how, yeah. why do
0: you say that? I think there's one that keeps them out, and it's the one that I acknowledged. I mean, yeah. other than you know falling in a manhole and losing, but I mean, if they win their games, they're getting in. Absent the absent the scenario I just laid out, right? Yeah. I'm betting on the manhole. By the way, I'm not all betting on right. um, yeah. just like <laughs>
1: well, all the history Well, that's it, well that's it too. Go give ahead. me the manhole for eight hundred, Alex. That's, that's what I'm. Uh, so it's been a manhole program.
2: <laughs> so what? What are our, so what are our wild cards in this? It's Gundy, who's the greatest wild card of them all, right? Um, you know the. Oh, by the way, they got to go to TCU this weekend, and I understand TCU is a huge disappointment. Ungood. I get Un-good. all that. But they're there's un- Ryle's offense always gives you a chance. I'll just say one that game. I don't think they're going to win.
1: But that, you will lose games you shouldn't and win games you shouldn't in that offense. We've seen it for almost two decades.
2: There's one game that TCU has been watching film on since since probably February, and that's Texas. And so if there's one game they want to win, it's that game. They're, they're the ones – You know, we, we all know Dykes well enough to know – that, that he will literally pour everything he has into this game. And uh, he's still apologizing everyone for losing the Colorado week one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, I, I just – I don't know. I, after watching Texas A&M and, and talking so much about the history of Texas A&M and this is what they always do, I kind of feel that way about Texas, where I don't know how they're going to screw it up. But I think they could. And the problem is, is that I think there will be an undefeated Big Ten champion, and I think that there will be an undefeated Florida State and I think that there's a pretty good chance we could end up with an undefeated Georgia, especially if they get out of this weekend. And so the it, the room starts to get much, much smaller for them at some point. And everybody still seems to think that Michigan's the greatest team in the world, and they've literally played everyone in the bottom 10 up to this point. You, you're talking about improving. I, the two teams I would look at and say I don't know if they're better than they were are Texas and Michigan. I don't know how good Michigan is. I really don't because they've literally – Played no one that starts this weekend. Their season starts this weekend, but but it is, um, but I look for improvement. I look at Ole Miss, and man, they've improved. I look at Georgia and they've figured out how to improve, even missing maybe the best player in the country. Alabama is a completely different animal than it was. All Washington does is survive, right? Everybody's figured out a way to get better. And I don't uh, Ohio State is so much better than they were a month ago. I don't have any idea if if Michigan is better or worse than they were. I guess we'll find out this weekend, but but I don't know.
1: Do we think Jim Harbaugh coaches this weekend against Penn State?
2: Well, now I don't know, Pete. What what are the what are your sources telling? No, no, it, no, it, it is. Um, I don't know. It, it's a great question, and it's. I think it would be wise to find a game now and say, "All right, we did our thing." You know, their whole thing is not cooperating. So, all right, you let him. You know, bench him now. Be proactive, and make sure you have him. You know, for the other games, and uh, it's a game you think you should win that you probably should win. But it'll look like you sacrificed something. But I don't know. It's uh that deal changes every hour. I got more questions about Michigan on the Grove at Ole Miss than I could have possibly predicted. It, it's just, it's all anyone's talking about, no matter where you are. I live up in Boston
1: and, you know, live, was here through Spygate and just remember how that like really transcended football. You know, there aren't a lot of things in college football, especially really. That punch through like the NFL will have its T Swift Kelsey thing that really cuts into pop culture and whatever. But this is this is maybe you know the once a year story like Johnny Football transcended, Tebow right. transcended. Like they were yeah. like, like this Michigan story is like a a man on the street story where like my my cousins are texting me like what's going on with this? This is strange, yeah. and it has that perfect layer of ambiguity to it where perfectly reasonable people can disagree. Right? Everybody does it. They're cheating like they're it's it's divisive in we won't really ever get clarity on it. And that's why it can kind of live forever in this in this talk space. So um, from a factual standpoint, what we know sitting here on uh, Monday afternoon as we tape our, uh, our our weekend recap pod is that we likely won't know anything until the middle of this week at the earliest. And the from what I have heard from Michigan and Harbaugh's side is if the big 10 does come with a ruling on something, which is likely to be a suspension of Harbaugh, which most people are on the big 10 expect to happen, that Michigan will push back. So the, the interesting part of this story is we could really just be starting, right? Can you imagine if there's an injunction to let Harbaugh coach on Saturday? I mean, we're talking now about things that really, really are big. And again, that's a hypothetical, but if you are going to push back legally, that's where this goes. And, I think it's really interesting. It'd be a real interesting test of how the big 10 rules are written, like obscure sportsmanship rules that were meant to like find Bobby Knight, God rest his soul, 10 grand for throwing a chair or whatever. Right. That, no, this is unprecedented. So nothing was really, none of the processes were ready for this. And so, um, the only certainty in, in Reese's alluded to this, uh, is that nobody's going to be happy, right? You can suspend them for however long the 13 schools are going to think it should be longer. Um, if they make a miss uh, a series of the Penn State game, Michigan fans are going to be outraged because they don't think they did anything. This is a red white hot divisive thing that Tony Batiti uh, is going to have a really hard time navigating because you are never going to find some sort of middle ground consensus on this. That is the probably the only certainty pushing forward in this.
2: So, so if there is a suspension, do we do you fight it for this weekend because it's Penn State? And then for Maryland, you go, Hey, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I would think coach is going to set this one out. Yeah. L- let's take, let's take the loss now and be ready for the last game. I-, I just, you know, everybody's thinking about all this.
1: Yeah. No, I just, I would think it ends up being more than one game. Yeah. Just, just considering the stakes, considering the, considering the schematic advantage that the coaches and athletic directors have relayed to the Petiti and how they think of it. And again, what has guided this and really been one of the fundamental backbones of this story is that when this information was presented to the NCAA, the week the investigation started, um, my sources indicate to me right away that it was, it was strong and powerful evidence. And then if you look at how the story has unfolded, Ryan, that's unfold. Okay. The big 10 warns Michigan state about the science dealing and then makes a statement. Again, I've said this a few times, but when a league comes out, confirming publicly an investigation against one of its, you know, flagship members. That's like, they're not doing that off of a, like, you know, the, the GA told the corners coach that the guy could have been, no, they had hard empirical evidence and everything that's guided this so far has indicated that the initial things that they were told and what they've been operating off of, you know, that have some serious, you know, some serious clout to them, some serious, like empirical, irrefutable evidence. And so and and it has operated since then like that's the case. So it will be it will be very interesting. I uh I think I'm gonna be learning a lot more Latin here in the
0: next few weeks, though, because I don't think this goes quietly. <laughs> there there is a big picture aspect to this with Michigan. First of all, on the field this season, they haven't played a single soul that can fog a competent mirror. Oh. So we don't know if they're any good. At that level, we know they're talented. I voted them number one in the preseason. I suspected they had a chance to win the national championship, and I still do. But these types of issues are galvanizing until they're not, because there is an institutional feel at Michigan, particularly, and some other institutions as well, that when something negative is swirling about them, even if it was created within your own walls, The first thing Michigan likes to do is draw up all of the drawbridges and have the castle uh, surrounded by a moat. And you make sure that nobody gets in and you're not letting anybody communicate outwardly. You're limiting the access. That was fine in 1971. Right. But in 2023, it becomes a little bit different for a number of reasons. One... When you get internal like that, maybe before long, you get hungry and you start eating your own, okay? And you start destroying yourself from inside, whether it's worrying about what someone has said, written, will do if we allow this person a microphone. The other thing from a big picture standpoint going forward is if you become so circle the wagons, close the gate make sure no message gets in here other or gets out other than the one that we want. You start bringing into question, who wants to be part of that? And if you don't think that James Franklin and Ryan Day and Kirby Smart and whoever else that recruits against you aren't saying, in this this world where players are brands and can make a lot of money, Michigan, man, you better step up with a big, big check. If you're going to offset limiting all of the access because you're afraid of what might get out or you're afraid – that someone's going to say or report something negative uh, on top of what has been said, or you're afraid someone's going to misspeak or say something in a way that maybe you would prefer that they didn't. You now bring in the next wave of Wolverines and call into question with people getting in there saying, you sure you want to be part of that? You sure you want to be a part? So this is not just about whether Jim is suspended for the Penn State game or suspended for Penn State and Maryland or the rest of the regular season, or they go to court and win. This has ramifications for how they're going to run their program, how it's perceived and who they can get to come inside that wall. Because guess what? You draw up those drawbridges and leave the moat full of alligators around. Okay, nobody gets in. That means nobody gets in. You're not giving the same type of access that everybody else is giving. And this, if they don't manage this correctly, this is a big deal for them. And it may be too late to manage it correctly. If they don't mitigate the damage and use every avenue they can to mitigate the damage from this, this can have terrible consequences for their program, big picture going forward. And it extends beyond whether Jim Harbaugh sits out a game or two, because either of what he knew or what he should have known or what he is responsible for knowing if he didn't, uh, you know, as it pertains to Connor Stallions, this is a big deal and you can't navigate it like it's 1971 anymore. It's not. And you have to handle it differently. And it is a major, major challenge for Michigan to be able to do that right now. And it'll be a fascinating thing to see how long this galvanizes them and everybody's out to get us. Us against the world only works for so long because if you are expending your energy every day, swinging your fist into the air and fighting all comers and everybody that's reaching out to you is coming after you and you're fight, 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 fight. It becomes exhausting. And that is, is what I mean when I say it's galvanizing until it's not, until it wears you out. And it's a major challenge to see if Michigan, uh, both within his team and within the entire infrastructure of the university, can manage this effectively. Jury's out on that at the moment.
2: And and, and who knows the NFL mentality better than Jim Harbaugh? No one. And what do our friends from the NFL tell us all the time? Is that at the end of the day, I just want to play ball and stay out of my wallet. when you start affecting those two things now you now it is it is it is a negative environment and so now we're in a world a couple of years in the Nil where you don't get in a guy's wallet and that's what's starting to happen a little bit and I just want to play ball now now you're creating all of these distractions. these kids didn't know anything about this they knew anything about any of this and now, you're talking to recruits. You're exactly right, Reese. You're getting into their wallet, and you're and you're creating an environment where all they read about you when they put you into the internet search machine has nothing to do with football. Even though you're undefeated, even though yes, you've played everyone in my bottom ten. Their best win, by the way, is UNLV. Shout out to Barry Odom. UNLV is really good this year. But that's you think Michigan. UNLV is better than Rutgers. Uh, yes, they're yeah, seven. Right. And, they're seven and two. I mean, you know, they, they, I mean, just just on the number. Plus, I just was honestly it was just an excuse to shout out Barry Odom and, and UNLV. <laughs> but Bill but the Clowney, reality-
1: by the way, our our who's our other guest uh, who comes on with us this, this week had a Barry Odom jersey in college. So yeah. we're, we're we're big fans of Barry Odom. Gets a lot of I love name Barry. drops here, despite I love you know other than his obviously great coaching job he's done this year at UNLV.
2: Yeah, but but UNLV typically is in the bottom ten, and they haven't been this year. And most of these schools usually are. That's who they play. But yeah. I just want to play ball and stay out of my wallet, and those rules apply to college football now. One it used to just be one; now it's both. And, and you're exactly right, Reese. When you start creating an environment where it's not about anything other than the stuff that you don't want to mess with, then there's plenty of places you can go play. And so, yeah, it, it's really, really going to be interesting going forward.
1: One thing, just pushing off that, and
2: to, to, to amplify Reese's point,
1: that's really interesting about Michigan's handling of this. Um, I think it's instructive to go back to January 12, 2023, Michigan President Santa Ono, for the first time in my career covering coach comings and goings, tweeted, pleased to share that I have been having very positive and constructive conversations with our athletic director and football coach. Ward Manuel and I both want to see Jim Harbaugh stay as the head football coach at the University of Michigan. So I don't ever recall a president taking the lead and putting out something publicly to get the positive feedback from the fans. Yay, president, you're going to keep our really successful coach here. This was during the time when the whole Broncos situation was happening. I think the Broncos situation might have happened again after this, by the way, too. Um, But Santa Ono, the the Michigan president, is a fan of Jim Harbaugh, and he also has his ears up and is listening to social media. That's what we learned a year ago today. He's at the forefront of this, and it will be really interesting to see how much of the decision-making, which is all going to come from Ono at this point, is driven by pleasing the fans? Because there is, there is a element of, we're going to fight this, that the fans are going to be like, yes, we're going to fight this. And the the notion of Michigan being in a legal battle with the Big Ten is a little bit mind-blowing. Now, there have been legal battles when teams leave conferences um, and such. Do you ever remember, Reese, a current member of a league being in a legal fist to cuffs with the league that it's in.
0: I I do not. And I would think that most, most leagues, most conferences would make sure this didn't happen. And I I don't know Tony Petiti personally. We have a, a mutual friend, great respect for him. Uh, but I don't know him personally, but I can't imagine, uh, Jim Delaney, you know, uh, allowing the conference without mitigating it. And I would have to assume that Petiti uh, would fall into that same realm of wanting to do what he can to try to keep that from happening. Because if that happens, then, you know, I've opined that I'm a little uh, suspicious of the Big Ten taking action, although if the rest of the members continue to push this hard, Petiti may have no choice but to do so because you can't just kowtow to one member, but you are acting against your own interest, which people and institutions are loath to do, because you are taking arguably your best chance to win a national championship and you are creating an obstacle for them, or at least um, not helping them remove the self-imposed obstacle that they created. So, you know, it, it's... Getting into the court battle, I will believe that that will be the pressure burst the pipes. If it gets to that, I will be very surprised if Michigan navigates its way through this and wins the national championship. Maybe they, you know, maybe they get by Ohio State at home, but I will, I will think at some point that kind of thing will take its toll. Not because the players themselves are worried about it. Oh my goodness, what happened in court today? But just the vibe that they get from. Distracted coaches, questions—you know, when they have when they have media availabilities, that type of thing—constantly about that instead of you know how great JJ McCarthy and Roman Wilson, Blake Corum are. Instead of that, you get questions about the other constantly, constantly, constantly. Friends in class, when you go home for the holidays, even if you just got to go home for a couple of days, like you guys talked about, everybody is asking about it. Imagine if you were in it, which Pete, you are. But you're in it in terms of covering it. What if you're in it and you're involved? And then you constantly are asked about it. And when you aren't asked about it, you're wondering if the person talking to you is wondering about it. That's human. You know, and all of those things kind of weigh after a while. Even I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, thinking preposterously that JJ McCarthy's going. What's Tony Petiti gonna do to coach? You know, right. I mean he's yeah. not, you know, he's worried, he's worried about Manny Diaz's blitz packages. You know, he's he's there, but there's a certain element on the outside that creates distraction, that weighs on coaches, that changes temperaments, and those types of vibes can ultimately affect teams. Maybe it will for Michigan, maybe it won't. Uh, we'll find out. We'll start to find out a little bit on Saturday.
2: And there's those moments where and, Pete, I'm sure you've had them. Reese, I'm sure you've had them. But I, I I, had a conversation with a conference commissioner when a team that was involved in an embarrassing situation that was unresolved was making a run deep, you know, in a postseason. And I asked a question. I said, you know, be honest. In your conference office, is there a little part of you that thinks, man, it would be a lot easier if they just lose a game now? And the answer was, well, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Interview ends. I turned the tape recorder off as the commissioner's leaving the room and turned around and said, of course, we'd like for them to lose. And we walked out the door. So, (laughs) So, so the, so the reality is, is that there is a, there is a point where is it worth it? And, and there's a point where if we start having war within our own borders, is this worth it? And, uh, and I, I guarantee you, there are plenty of people, uh, in the office. And we all know now, officially, there's a lot of people throughout the conference. That would just assume Penn State win this weekend and get it over with. But, uh, but it's not Michigan's plan and it shouldn't be. Big game, big game. James Franklin
0: would like to see that happen and kind of, kind of get that, uh, get that albatross from around his neck about the, about the big games. But it's fair. I've got a, you know, we're looking into the number of times that, that they've actually been favored. You know, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I don't remember if it was, um, might have been Josh Pate, might have been Kubelik, might have been um I, I can't recall the other guy's name. One of them I heard on the radio who put it perfectly, who said, because I want to give the credit, what credit's due, that James Franklin is not overrated or underrated. He might be the most perfectly rated coach that there is. Because, <laughs> you know, he has he he's they they very rarely lose to teams that they shouldn't but they have not yet reached a level where they have this long history of beating teams that they should not. And um, you know, this is an opportunity because I don't think they should beat Michigan on Saturday and we'll find out if they do. Hey, before we get out of here, the one game we haven't touched on uh, sort of in a peripheral way, I guess was Alabama's performance against LSU on Saturday night. And now their, Alabama's defense kept it from being a track meet late, but as that game was unfolding, I'd said during the week, track meet Alabama won't win, you know, that, uh, and it was a track meet for a while, defense clamped down. It was a really different look, and I'd seen a little bit of it at practice on Thursday, a lot more quarterback run from Jalen Milroe and and then they instituted that on Saturday, and as You know, I think that's one of the things is they play big games. Now, now that's on tape. You've always known he could run, but there were more opportunities for him to do so. Um, You know, he didn't take the negative plays. Really, uh, the defense continues to rise up late. We had had that stat earlier in the year when they lost a fourth quarter lead against Texas. That and I I think it was last. I can't remember how many it was now. Half dozen, eight, ten games, something like that, that they had lost. They had a lead in the fourth quarter. And, you know, the defensive program hasn't been able to close. And now they do. And the offense keeps coming around. Maybe, you know, maybe they are more of a threat to Georgia than than we thought. Because, you know, barring absolute weirdness and meltdown,
2: they're, go- they're going to get there. What I want to know from a team at this point, Pete, is can you win all sorts of different football games, right? Can mm-hmm. you win a tractor pull? But then, can you win a track meet? And now, what they've shown us is the answer is yes. Yeah, I go back to the Arkansas game. What 24 21 and I mean, playing ugly the first half of the year. And now I know, and I kind of feel that way with Georgia too. I know that they can win a couple of different types of football games. You know, when, when I watch a big, a classic Big Twelve team over the last ten years, I know they can win a track meet. I don't know if they can win a tractor pull, and and mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, and, and it, depending on what league you're looking at, that's what, we be. what I now I know that they know how to win all of these games, and I think that should be scary for anyone that's going to play them.
1: Yeah, I really feel like this has been one of Nick Saban's better coaching jobs, and certainly I'm not going to walk into the Vatican and pick the best fresco, right? So, like, the guy's done a good job a lot of different years. But, you know, considering how awful and unaesthetically pleasing that USF game was – and forget about Texas. Texas is pretty good, right? That USF game, a tractor pull would be like a grand compliment to that thing. That thing was just <laughs> that thing was just an utter <laughs> mess. Now, again, uh Milro didn't play, and they were just sort of dawdling, dawdling around a little bit, figured out a way to win. But to go where they are now, slicing and dicing LSU, and look, this isn't a great LSU defense, no, no. but in their secondary really stinks but let's not pretend they don't have good players running around. Right. Okay. Right. Like, like they, you know, this wasn't middle Tennessee that they were, you know, taken to the deli slicer. All right. So give them credit for adapting and evolving the best coaches. And this is like the distillation of Nick Saban's genius is two things. In my opinion, one is that he's been able to do it year to year to year with radically different personnel, coaches, staffs, etc. And the other where he is the best and where the absolute best show up is Week to week, keeping the group engaged, motivated, and improving. All right. And it would have been easy for this Bama team to spin off, right? After, you know, after they struggled that first month and they have locked in, their scheme has evolved clearly to highlight Milrose skill set. And their O line has gotten better, thankfully, because we want Jalen Milro to live. And for a while, it didn't look like he might live. <laughs> um, they have gotten better and better and better. And that to me is. You know, the the collision of what makes Nick Saban great. They're doing this with Tommy Reese. They're doing it with Kevin Steele again, right? And they are going week to week to week and getting better. And shame on us because I was skeptical early. Uh, my eyes bled that USF game. Oh, I didn't think yeah. they'd be here and they're
0: here. I I agree. with, And that's an interesting point that you bring up, Pete. I think um, we talked about Alex Grinch earlier you know, needing a a different look and a different opportunity. Pete Golding was a good defensive coordinator. Uh, It got a little, you know, they couldn't close sometimes, not all the time they won a bunch of games. So, but there were some big stages on which they didn't, you know, third down was tough. The different voice, the veteran steady presence, a guy who's, you know, a real defensive guru and Kevin Steele has really, really helped. And Tommy Reese, has shown his value and his stock from being able to go from that uh, awful train wreck of a game at USF to, okay, what can we do? What do we have to cover up? How do we address the young left tackle? Okay, our guy throws a good deep ball, maybe doesn't anticipate as much. Okay, he can run. When do we choose to do that? Tommy has done a, a terrific job in navigating that. And sort of steady improvement along the way. But you make a very good point. It's not like LSU shutting down a bunch of people and then, you know, and then Alabama came and got them, but there is definitely improvement there. And as much as we want to praise Nick and that's understandable, I think Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese deserve a lot of credit for Kevin for kind of locking down that closers mentality because what they've done in the second half and fourth quarters against really you know, dangerous offenses has been impressive. And then Reese for
2: evolving the offense has been, has been really good, really good. It's almost as if those guys uh, have seen everything before as head coaches. You know, it's like, it's (laughs) funny funny how that works. It it, it is interesting talking to coaches who have former head coaches on their staff and talking about Barry Odom, he and I've had these conversations before about being a coordinator after you've been a head coach. I don't believe that, Will Muschamp receives nearly enough credit for what he's done at Georgia? When I was at Ole Miss last weekend, someone said, "Man, who's the defensive coordinator at Georgia?" I'm like, ah. "Will Muschamp." But people yeah. don't people forget. But 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 it is it is invaluable. And Nick Saban figured this out a long time ago. Even if he only has him for a year, it's invaluable to look across a room and go, "Well, you had this situation at fill in the blank here. Cool. What did you do there?" But then it's also just as valuable to have guys on the staff who are willing to look at you and go, well, you're Nick Saban, so this is what I thought, but what do you think? Because the problem is uh, when you have former head coaches on the staff, a lot of times it doesn't work because they all they want to be is head coach again. And so the, the just add it to the list of what we all love about him, which is the ability to assemble rooms like that and the ability to, you know, no one to apply pressure and no one to trust them because of their experience, which is why you hired them. So, yeah, it's – I'm with you. Steele in particular has always been a fascinating figure to me anyway. And uh, to see what he's done is, uh, it's, it's remarkable. Guys, it was a fascinating
0: weekend for sure. A lot of fun. And Ryan uh, belated happy birthday. I'm glad you and Marty uh,
2: got a lot of free
0: beverages. Best drink in the the Grove. What What was your best cocktail? We we barely got out.
2: So I, uh, you know what? There was a guy. You know the the famous the famous centerpiece building at 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 Ole Miss with the columns and the whole mm-hmm. deal. The only one that the that wasn't burned down by Union troops, by the way, and, and uh. But he had uh, this dispenser he'd built. His name is Ty. Is right off the Grove a dispenser he built that resembled this this famous you know columns, and he and his friends vote on what drinks to put in them, and he had some sort of. What did he? Well, he had a really inappropriate name that ended mm-hmm. with "on the grove" or "in the grove," and uh, and it was delicious. And all, right. all I know is is that Marty drove us to Memphis because I was not. <laughs> and was and not when and it. when Ryan and when Ryan
0: woke up during the four o'clock window of uh, NFL games on Sunday, it was yeah. uh, it was really good. Uh, Ryan Pete, always great <laughs> Fellas Enjoyed uh, reminiscing about this past weekend. Glad you had a good birthday weekend. And we will be back on Wednesday to peek ahead. What is another great slate of games? Penn State, Michigan, Ole miss, Georgia, Miami, Florida State. Uh, where might that rake be for teams to step on? Talk a lot about that on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode or download us wherever you prefer to get podcasts.